Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week, it's me, Philippa Gray, and... Paul Omani. Pat can't be with us. We will miss him, but we will soldier on and see how we do on our own, Paul. And we have uh, three parts we're going to do. Isn't that right? We've got the uh, this episode of the podcast in three different parts. That's right. Uh, we will have an interview with a very special guest. We will have the soapbox, but first of all, Paul, tell us what your big idea is for this week. Oh, this coming Saturday, it's all about river dance. Now, some of the listeners here have never heard of river dance. So let me just tell you that it was an enormous sensation in Ireland about 30 years ago or something like that, when in the middle of the Eurovision Song Contest, which if you don't know what the Eurovision Song Contest is, I haven't time to tell you about it. But in the middle of the Eurovision Song Contest, there was a three minute interval break and a whole load of Irish dancers came out onto the stage and a whole load of music was played. And it was sensational because it was different from the usual sort of Irish traditional dancing. Now, the guy who wrote the music for that is Bill Whelan. It just so happens that he's the only half famous person that I've been friends with since the age of four. So Bill and I went to the same school together. I, I leave out, I, I'm named in the book, not as an important person because he's just uh, written a book, it's just published called uh, The Road to Riverdance. And uh, as you can imagine, you publicize a book, you hold a, a signing, you go on television, you go on radio, um, all of this is going on, this guy who I went to school with. And on this coming Saturday, I go to Limerick because in my own family bookshop, Bill Whelan is doing a signing and a reading from the book, The Road to Riverdance. And that is occupying my mind because not only is there everything about my good friend and the most memorable and perhaps most influential Irish theatrical show or theatrical show that's ever been put together by an Irish guy. But I'm going to meet up with a whole load of people who are in the same class at school with Bill and I. So just imagine some crusties getting together in a bookshop, itching to get around the corner to a pub so that we can just carry on storytelling. Um, Philippa, that's been the greatest relief from other things that I have going on this week. I'm really, really looking forward to it. The Road to River Dance, the book. Order it now. Oh, that sounds wonderful and such fun. I should have... Uh done my big thought first because uh, I'm going to bring you right down back down to earth with an awful bang my thoughts are all around public speaking now people I'm certain everybody's heard of river dance and some people might have heard about the fun we've had in UK politics the last few weeks but one repeated theme with all the chaos and the stupid stuff that's been going on is 
how people you would expect to be able to deliver a speech turned out to be really, really bad at it. This week, first time it's happened, the British of British person of Asian heritage became prime minister. It was on Diwali. It was really exciting. And he didn't even know to look at the camera. I mean, I'm bad at looking at the camera, I thought to myself, but I at least attempt it once every speech. Um, his predecessor, people noted, was just hopeless at public speaking. And I've been having lots of thoughts about why haven't these people who clearly planned their career in politics for years, why haven't they had a go at public speaking? And then those thoughts were interrupted by an even bigger thought. Philippa, you are not, you are not the best public speaker. You are determined to learn, but you have an awful long way to go. And you really need to keep a firm check on your judgmental side. So I have resolved. I'm not worried about other people's public speaking abilities. If I come across a great public speaker, I shall enjoy it. But I shall concentrate on getting better myself. We all love public speaking. Well, we all love talking. And the knack of enjoying public speaking is to realise it is just talking. I just got to tell you something, because I also have been watching the UK politicians, particularly Liz Truss and uh, Rishi, um, the new prime minister, uh, Sunak, um, speaking. Now, it doesn't matter what I think of them speaking, but a thought came to me. If you and I are practicing our public speaking, we can look at the camera. We can do all sorts of things. But frankly, nobody's hanging on our every single word. The stock market is not going to either go up nor down, dependent on what I say. However, both of those two previous people were in situations, are in situations where if they say the wrong thing, the word will go out in the markets, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. Isn't that right? Well, yes, but whatever Liz Truss said, she did the wrong things and it was sell, sell, sell and it caused chaos. And it really, she did an awful lot of damage. So well, now, look, you're, you're a political person and I think it's wonderful in Toastmasters to have people talk politics. I'm all in favour of it, by the way. But the key thing it really is about is actually about whether it really matters that much how good your eye contact is when everyone's listening like mad to your words rather than how you put it across. I think this is a, a subject for a longer discussion, is it not? Yes. Yes, you're not not quite convincing me. No, I. But look, sh 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 shall we stop the first part of the podcast and yeah. then move on to the second part before we reach the third part? That sounds uh, yeah, very logical. Okay, so the second part of the podcast is going to be an interview. 
And we have a very special guest today who uh, Philippa is going to interview. Philippa, would you like to interview our special guest today? I'd be delighted, Paul. And drum roll. Our special surprise guest is none other than Paul O'Mani. Paul, welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Oh, it's a treat to be here. Now, first thing I want to ask you about, while you were talking about your big thought, you used the phrase family bookshop. And all oh, that's given me all sorts of pictures. But do tell me, does your family have a bookshop? Oh, more than one. But let me let me uh, go back to 1902, Philippa. My grandfather f- set up a bookshop on the main street in Emmerich in 1902. It's a family business, and one of my brothers owns it today. Wow, I am jealous. That just sounds so good. I mean, I know it's not easy running a bookshop, but, oh, I'm impressed. Yeah, people who bought books put shoes on my feet and clothes on my back and food in my mouth. And may they long continue to do so. But we were, we haven't actually seen that much of you. I feel we've missed you a few times. So I think you've been really busy. So would you like to talk about why you've you've actually found something better to do than Shilling Toastmasters podcast? I mean, you know, this needs explanation. Okay, I'll tell you about one thing, because I, you know, like uh, some people, I got about 20 balls in the air, but let me tell you about one thing. I have become the campaign manager for somebody who's going up, hoping to be elected as an international director in in the Bahamas next uh, summer. So I I am the campaign manager, and that means that I have to do some things. Uh, Are you anyway interested in how you get to be an international director, Philippa. Does that interest you? Uh, I don't have a personal interest in it, but I think you're going to have to explain a little bit more. Um, Why the Bahamas? Uh, How many uh, international directors are there? Are we talking Toastmasters here? Oh, we are, yeah. Thank you for, yeah, we're talking Toastmasters. And the reason I mentioned the Bahamas is that that's where the voting will take place next uh, August. Takes place at the International Convention every year and uh, you're an international director for two years and each year about half of the international directors are uh, elected so that's what will be happening now uh, tell me what would you be curious about in relation to the international directors Uh, let me tell you they taken together they make up the board of toastmasters international there are quite a lot of them Plus, then there's clearly the international president, the president-elect, the first, second, and third international presidents. Um, Forgive me, I may not get the titles absolutely right. Plus, then the whole uh, employees led by Dan Rex, who's the uh, chief executive officer. So, but Dan Rex plus... All the people I've just mentioned, who are all volunteers, they are the board. They meet throughout the year and uh, they bring forward policies to be voted on at the International Convention and they make decisions during the year. Right. So my first question, 
because as you said a bit earlier, I am into politics, is how much competition is there? Um, how, many, how many seats are available and how many candidates stand typically? Well, let me tell you that you're a candidate to be international director in a region or from a region. So for example, the shilling is in region 10 of Toastmasters International. Region 10 is Europe, by the way. Last year, the one that we've had, there were three candidates for international director. And Gene Gempster was past, uh, uh, past district director in District 71, when it included the whole of Ireland and Britain, before District 91 was formed, she was elected as the international director. So there was a competition, if you like, a campaign, three candidates. But this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, people are voted on from all over the world. Every club has uh, a vote. Unless I'm mistaken, uh, every club has two votes held by the president and the secretary. So all of the clubs in the world will vote for who will be the new international directors next summer. Yeah, shamefully, I knew that we had a vote at the international convention because I have been secretary. Um, we, I think we delegated it and I've never actually checked what the vote was for, I'm afraid. <laughs> Well, I get you. You're you belong to the ninety nine point nine 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 percent of Toastmasters who are in the same position as yourself. So you're in really good company, I think, because it's. Uh, but I tell you, the situation is that the voting will take place. The vast majority of clubs, if they do anything at all, they will they will give the vote to their own district director who will vote on their behalf. Now, you can tell the district director how you would like the district director to vote. And the district director is compelled to vote the way that you as the secretary of the club. Now, you can, of course, have a meeting. We can have a meeting in Schilling and discuss which international directors will we vote for. That would probably not be that interesting to most members. It could be a long meeting. There could be three candidates from each region and probably about 10 regions. So we could go through the 30 biographies. I wonder, would you like a meeting like that? No. Well, actually, I personally might enjoy it, but I wouldn't want to have to do the marketing and the PR and try and get enough members along for it to be worthwhile so in any case oh there will be a whole now here's the interesting thing i think it might be worth saying how do you get yourself on the ballot paper to be an international director because you have to be vetted it's a bit like any election in toastmasters for division director and the district leadership teams you have to be interviewed so the candidates for international director will be interviewed uh, very soon, like in the next four weeks, they'll be interviewed. And a decision will be made 
by the people who are meant to decide this, whether this is a suitable candidate. And all suitable candidates will be put on the ballot paper. And when you get on the ballot paper, um, the, the, your campaign can begin. I think you can actually even campaign to be an international director as a non-unofficial candidate. I think your chances of getting elected would be nil if you weren't an official. I mean, it doesn't mean they endorse you and say you should be elected. But the key thing is that you are an officially approved candidate. And that'll all be done, or as I say, over about the next four weeks. After that interview has taken place, there'll be various consultations and you are informed whether you are, you've passed the first test. The thing you have to do to prepare for that interview, you've got to prepare, you've got a lot of questions you've got to prepare. You could be asked questions. So your campaign team is there to help you prepare. And the campaign team I'm on has already started giving the candidate some interview practice. Very essential. But the other thing is that you have to have, if you're going to be a candidate, a 360 degree feedback from people you've worked with. I think you might nominate 10 or 20 people you've worked with or who know of your work, they're all invited to contribute feedback about you. You're given, I think, the same form to fill out about yourself. So the people interviewing you have, here's what people say about you. Here's what you say about yourself. Can we just talk about the differences? This is what I imagine. Now, I haven't been to the interviews, right? But it really is like that. And the reason I know anything at all is that last year I was in a campaign team for one of the candidates. This year I'm the campaign manager, which I've never been before, but you know what's like in Toastmasters. If someone asks you to do something, the only thing you really should say is yes. So that's the 360-degree the feedback the preparation with your own team of, you know, what will you say if they say to you, you know, uh, they're trying to assess whether you are, are the right character, personality, whether you exemplified the Toastmasters four key values. They're really uh, the 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 thing they have to do is to make sure that nobody who doesn't exemplify the values gets through onto the ballot paper, really, I would say. Because you could have all sorts of things you favor as a policy, but you're going to be on a board. You're not going to be the one setting policy. You're there considering with about, theoretically, about 25 or 30 people. Have you ever been on a board? Uh, I'm a trustee of a local charity and I'm on the exec of a local branch of my political party. So, yeah, I've got a reasonable, I think I've got a reasonable understanding of how small voluntary organisations function. Um, so, yes, it's, 
yeah, it's, it's got some interest for me. But I'm intrigued. Once the interview's done, and I'm sure your candidate will be approved, do Hope you so. have any more work as campaign manager? Because I don't see any um, campaigns running through the year. Nobody pops up at uh, Toastmasters meeting shouting, elect me. Well, the, the, there's a thing called protocol number nine, which mm. I won't go into what it is, but elections for candidates in Toastmasters International would surprise most people, especially anyone who's ever been trying to get elected in politics. There are significant uh, restrictions on what you can do. I'll give you a little example. As the campaign manager for my candidate, I cannot go putting a whole load of things on my social media saying, vote for Joe Bloggs. He will be a really good candidate. Don't vote for Mary Humphreys and Margaret Higgins. They're no good. I'm not allowed to do that. Which, of course, is what politicians do all the time. But the key thing is, yes, there are major restrictions on what you can do. The campaign team and the candidate are all locked into agreeing with these conditions. And if you break them, you can be basically disciplined. Um, so what will happen after Christmas is that the candidate's websites will go up. You're, you can have a website until two weeks after the election. So you put up a special website if you're a candidate, and a special social media profile, not your normal one. It has to be, you know, elect Philippa for international director. That might be the website. And your new Twitter handle might be, you know, elect Philippa. All of these things are valid, but they are literally, you can't piggyback on an existing one if you're in the campaign team. Now, if somebody out there stumbles across your website and your social media profile as a candidate and decides off their own bat to send information about you to people saying, hey, this person would be a great international candidate. That's legitimate. So long as they're not a member of your campaign team. The other thing that can be done, and this I nearly did last year, you can, candidates can go to club meetings and other meetings and speak in favor of their candidacy, provided all the other candidates with whom they're running, let's say there are three candidates, are also invited and given the same opportunity. Shilling speakers could invite the three candidates from region, anyone you like, region one, because there won't be one for region 10. That's happened already last year. So it could invite candidates from a region to come to a club meeting and give a speech. I actually think club members might find that interesting, uh, but maybe that would be up to the vice president for education, obviously. But uh, So you... You, that is what happens. Now, then the last part I'll, I'll, I'll mention is uh, what do you do uh, at the last minute 
Well, you either decide you're getting on a plane and going to the Bahamas to be at the face-to-face -face international convention, press the flesh, talk to people, lobby to get them to vote for you, and uh, or you stay at home and you zoom in because you don't have to go. Any, I would advise any candidate to go to the international convention although it does cost a good deal of money and you don't get given any election expenses. So it's uh, anything else. Look, any other questions you think you or the listeners might be interested in? Uh, no, that's been quite enlightening. I've learned a lot about Toastmasters and aspects of it I never thought about before. So I think we'll say thank you very much, Paul. You're very welcome. What shall we do in the third part of the podcast this week, Philippa? What shall we do? Well, if you don't mind, I have my soapbox ready and I would like to climb on it. Oh, fabulous. Have you had a shower? A shower. Oh. You got your soapbox? I was yeah. checking to see if you've had a shower. Sorry, that was meant to be a joke. Yes, I realise that. Um, <laughs> you made me think about... Uh, Aspects of public speaking I haven't quite got the hang of yet. Okay, so look, you've got a soapbox. You're going to Hyde Park Corner. You put turn the box upside down and you're standing on it, talking about something you feel strongly about. Philippa Gray, it's your soapbox. Thank you, Paul. And this week, I want to talk about something that is the of my life and that is commitments and what they really mean. Now I joined Toastmasters because several friends said oh you've got to do this it's really good it's the best way to learn public speaking and I signed up and then found out I'd signed up for two meetings a month. I thought oh good grief did I mean to do this? But I wasn't going to give up. I'd made a decision to uh, join Toastmasters. So I went along with it. And after a few weeks, it did make sense that we met twice a month, even though it was a bit of a struggle. This was pre-COVID and I had to actually get out, you know, have a meal early, find my way to where we were meeting. But it was worth it. And then COVID struck and we moved online, which made things a lot easier. And then I was asked to be on the committee. I think by this time I'd picked up that, uh, yeah, if you're asked to do something in Toastmasters, you really should say yes, unless you've got a good reason not to. So I was... I'm sure I was told, oh, it's only a few hours. All you have to do is this and this. I think I was signing up for the treasurer's role, which really should be quite limited. Uh, nobody mentioned driving the renewals process, for example. So, yeah, I said, yes, I'll be treasurer. And, you know, I, can, I love spreadsheets, so I can prepare accounts and keep track of spend expenditure. That was fine. Uh, 
then let me think we were a newly formed club so i signed up at oh good grief i've forgotten what the word is go on paul tell me a chartering chartering yes that's right so that was fun. And then suddenly, a few months later, along came renewals time. And yes, suddenly found I'd signed up for a bit more than I expected. And then time went on. I was still having a good time and I got more and more engrossed. And then I, I do have other things to do outside Toastmasters and they got quite engrossing as well. And COVID changed everything and all the rules seemed to have changed. So everything was being done a bit differently. and. Recently, I've realised that I have absolutely reached the limit of what I can cope with. I've got my time planned out fairly sensibly, but I keep forgetting that everything I'm involved in, you always get something unexpected. Something will happen and this short task will always take much longer than you expected. And I am really... I am missing out at the moment because there's some amazing stuff going on in Toastmasters, some of which has seemed to be uh, organised by Paul and his club, Blarney. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Paul will post an invitation to uh, an interesting meeting and I will think, yes, I want to go to that. I want to be involved. And, And I think, no, I just do not have the time. And I am having to go back and rethink my commitments Uh, I accept that everything takes longer and I cannot do everything. Sometimes this is a good thing. So I turned down an invitation recently to jump in and do some interviewing at another club. Other members stepped up and apparently I've heard some really good stuff about them. So are you talking about the two? Are you talking about the two people from Schilling Club, Violetta and Celia? Yep, who who travelled out of District 91 and went over to District 71 and interviewed nine, uh, between them, nine uh, speech contestants and did it brilliantly. Are you talking about them by any chance? Yes, I am, Paul. I say it's really good. I know they're talented. I've heard them speak before. So, yeah, it's really lovely that they uh, did such a great job. And it's reminded me that yeah, you see a message that might literally say, you know, we really need your help. And you you forget that everybody's reading that. And there are plenty of other people who are out there. And it is OK. The only person who misses out if I don't step up to uh, a challenge is me in the end, because there are lots of other talented Toastmasters out there. Do you know, I think I think you're actually talking about the experience of becoming able to say no. Yes, I think this has been touched on before when I've uh, recorded the podcast. I do need need to learn to say no, and I need to accept I'm going to miss out on some of the good opportunities, but I don't want to miss out on all of them, and I've got to be careful not to spend too much time committing to stuff that I won't learn from. And, you know, I think you've you've been talking about something really important that just about everybody listening to this will be able to resonate with. Because if you're out there and engage, engaged in society and you're well enough to interact with other people and you're well enough to have interests, 
You have to say no. There are too many attractive things out there. So how do you say no? And if you don't say no, you're finished. You're sunk. You have to say no. Do you think we should stop doing this podcast, say no to podcasting in order to give us time to do something else, Philippa? What do you think? No. One thing I do get right, I think, and I do reserve my right to change my mind about this, but although I'm doing too much, everything does connect somehow. Toastmasters especially connects with everything. So make time for Toastmasters and you will find that through your experience of public speaking, other things will get easier and quicker. All practicing communication is so advantageous. So no, I don't think we should give up the podcast. And that's enough. Now, before you change your mind now, I think we'll finish the podcast episode this week. What do you think? I think we should say cheerio to our listeners from uh, Paul Omani and from... And from Philippa Gray. Goodbye, listeners. Hope to talk to you again next week. <laughs>